0: following audio drama
1: is rated PG for parental guidance. You
2: should experience lots of explosions with no body parts.
1: Parents should be ready to cover their ears.
2: Uh, appear to be, uh, every... This is, look can see,
3: for your production, entertainment is always free.
4: Time for the Broken Sea Audio Production OTR Swagcast. Welcome back to the Swagcast. This is Bill Holweg. And tonight the game is once again afoot as we bring you mysteries from the immortal Sherlock Holmes from across the pond during Sir John Gielgud, yes. Anyway, he should have been a Planet of the Apes, but that's another story. And some background on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's famous detective. The character of Sherlock Holmes, written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, has been on the radio from 1930 to recent times. In the United States, long-running series presented The Casebook of Sherlock Holmes. In Great Britain, the listening public first heard single adventures in short series from six to twelve shows over the years. Until 1954, twelve-show series, there were only three Sherlock Holmes shows actually targeted for an adult audience. These were the Boscombe Valley Mystery. 3 July 1943, The Adventure of the Speckled Band, 17 May 1945, and an adaptation of the William Gillette-Conan Doyle play on 3 January 1953. There were a number of Holmes adventures targeted for children's audience, with Carlton Hobbs as Holmes and Norman Shelley as Watson. The earliest of these aired on 15 October 1952. The 12 shows Sir John Gilgood and Richardson series in 1954 marked the turning point. After this series, numerous short stories and single shows were produced for the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC. The 1954 series was produced in London by Harry Allen Towers, who also produced The Lives of Harry Lyme, a.k.a. The Third Man, and Black Museum, another groovy OTR there. Anyway, Holmes was played by Sir John Gielgud and Watson by Sir Ralph Richardson. The series was an excellent adaptation of stories from the Sherlock Holmes canon, and performances are solid and enjoyable. The shows were adapted for radio by John Keir Cross and directed by either Val Gilgood or Martin C. Webster. Orson Welles, who played Holmes in the Mercury Theater Holmes play, appeared as Professor Moriarty in The Final Problem. Hmm, wonder if we'll hear that tonight. Anyway, 12 shows were aired by the BBC from October 5th, 1954 through the 21st of December, 1954. The series aired in the U.S. on January 2nd, 1955. The U.S. series consisted of 22 shows, of which the last six were rebroadcast of earlier shows. Anyway, grab your magnifying glass, it's off to the swagcast with Sir John. You're good. Enjoy. This is Bill Holwig live from West Texas for the Swag Cast.
5: The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The original and immortal stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle dramatized anew with Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson and Sir John Gielgud in the role of Sherlock Holmes.
6: My name is Watson, Dr. John H. Watson. It may be familiar to you through my association over many years with one of the most remarkable men I believe the world has ever known, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I want to tell you about one of our earliest adventures, the first time that we went out into the streets of London in active partnership. We were still youngish men, it was far back in the early 1880s. We had shared those famous rooms, number 221 B Baker Street, for only a few months.
7: Watson, my dear fellow, you're just in time. In time for what, Holmes? Well, you've so often been good enough to express a genial interest in my singular profession. Now you'll be able to see me actually at work. Oh, well, I'm delighted, Holmes. It should be fascinating. Ah, but I must sit down by the fire. Deuced chilly out. Oh, do, do, my dear fellow. Oh, by the way, Watson, why Turkish? Turkish? How do you mean? The bath. The bath you've just come from, my dear fellow. Why the relaxing and expensive Turkish, rather than the invigorating homemade article across the passage here? Well, because I felt lazy and... uh,
6: But I haven't said a word about it. How the deuce did you know I'd had a Turkish bath? Your
8: boots, Watson.
7: Boots? The thing's quite elementary, surely. Oh, no doubt, but you'll forgive me if I fail to see the least connection. You always do your boots up in the same way, Watson. However, on this occasion, I see them fastened with an elaborate double bow. Ah, uh-huh. And so, of course, you've had them off, and someone else has tied them for you. Who, for example? The answer can only be your bootmaker or the boy at the Turkish baths. As your boots were only made and delivered here late last week, it's hardly likely to have been the bootmaker, so what remains but the bath? Absurdly simple, isn't it? <laughs> Upon my soul, Holmes... You really are the strangest fellow. Ah, wait till you meet Milverton. He's stranger still. Milverton? Who's Milverton? Charles Augustus Milverton of Hampstead. In all probability, the most evil man in London. Indeed? He sounds fascinating. I invited him for 6.30, so he's almost
6: due. Oh, I shiver at the thought of him. But what's he do for a living, this strange caller of ours?
7: Blackmail, Watson. Huh? Yes, he looks like Mr. Pickwick. But heaven help the man, or worse still, the woman who's indiscreet enough to get into his power. And what have you to do with him? Well, I've had the honor recently to be consulted by a particularly illustrious lady. Who is she? Do I know her? Well, I expect you know her name. Lady Eva Brackwell, the most beautiful debutante of last season. But of course. Isn't isn't she to be married in a fortnight to the Earl of Dovercourt? Yes. It's all arranged. Unluckily for her, Milverton has managed to get hold of some imprudent letters, Watson which she wrote some time ago to a penniless young fellow in the country. Only imprudent, mind you, but they'd be quite sufficient to break off the match. And you're commissioned to meet him? Yes, and make what terms I can. I think he's here, Watson. Will you let him in?
8: Mr. Holmes' rooms?
6: Will you come in, please? This is Mr. Holmes. I take it you are... Charles
7: Augustus Milverton. How are you, Mr. Holmes? No, I prefer not to shake hands with you, Mr. milverton Huh? This is only a matter of business between us. I see. And we can talk of it before this gentleman. It's rather a delicate affair. Dr. Watson is my friend and partner, sir. He knows our business. Really? Well, we need hardly waste much time on it. My position is quite definite. You are acting for the Lady Eva, I understand. I have that honor. What are your terms, Mr. Milberton? Seven thousand pounds, Mr. Holmes. And the alternative? Oh, my dear sir, it is painful
8: to discuss it. But if the money is not paid by the 14th, there will certainly be
7: no marriage on the 18th. And supposing I advise my client to tell her future husband all about these letters you hold? <laughs> you evidently do not know the Earl, Mr. Holmes, nor me. I am
8: practised practice at this game, sir. Look at this pocketbook. I have eight or ten similar cases all maturing in it. It is how I make my humble bread. You scoundrel. As you like, sir but there are details here that would surprise you for all your so-called knowledge of affairs. You may remember the sudden end of the engagement between the Honourable Miss Miles and Colonel Dorky, and only because the absurd sum of 1,200 pounds could not be found in time. 7,000 is ridiculous, Milberton, out of the question. Is it? I think not. There was also the case of... Oh, well, no more names, perhaps. Well, sir? Watson, get behind him. Don't let him get out now. Now, sir, that notebook, if you please. You fool, Holmes. Stand back. Do you think I'd go about a business like mine, unarmed? Stand back, I say. You too, Dr. Watson, or whatever your name is. Put up your hands. Holmes, I'll... still, Watson. Ah, I expected something much more original, Mr. Holmes. I really did, from you. Do you think I'm such a fool as to carry the letters about with me? You only make me more determined than ever. One more word, and I'll make it 8,000. And the 13th instead of the 40th. Good night, Mr. Holmes.
6: It was one of my earliest glimpses of the kind of thing confronting us in what Holmes had been good enough to call our partnership. What he would do next, I had no idea. I was hardly prepared a few nights later, and on a particularly stormy evening, for the appearance in our chambers of a tall, rakish-looking young workman with a goatee beard.
2: Oh,
1: good evening, Governor. How are you?
6: How? How am I? Now, look here, my good man. What do you think you're doing walking in here? These are private apartments. I
7: happen to live here, Watson. (laughs)
2: Oh!
7: Good heavens! Holmes! Yes, I think I forgot to warn you about my little penchant for disguises, Watson. Just one among my many other accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> you, what an appalling night outside. It's coming down in sheets. Well, what on earth have you been doing? Getting myself engaged to be married. To, to be married? My, my dear fellow, I, I congratulate you. It's yes, to the housemaid at Charles Augustus Milberton's. What? I had to, Watson. I wanted information. Oh,
6: but that was going too far.
7: Not at all. In my present alias, I'm a rising young plumber named Estcott. I've walked and talked with that girl every evening for nearly a week. Such charming little talks they were too. And now I know Milberton's house in Hampstead like the palm of my hand, yes. from the basement to the attics. Yes,
6: yes, but Holmes, the
7: the, the poor girl. Holmes. Oh, well, it really can't be helped, Watson. She has to become a sacrifice on the altar of my art. Oh, fortunately, I find I have a hated rival in the shape of the local grocery assistant. He's sure to cut me out with a moment my back's turned. (laughs) Look out of the window, Watson. Ah, what a splendid night. You were only complaining about it a moment ago. As an honest citizen, as a burglar, I approve of it. As a... as a burglar? Yes, I propose to burgle Milberton's house before the night is over, Watson. It's the only way. I just want a few minutes to change my clothes and get rid of this ticklish beard, and then I shall be leaving you for the evening to your peaceful solitude. No, no, Holmes... I'm coming with you. My dear Watson. You said that we were partners and that I should do something to shake off my indolence. Well, well. We've been sharing these same rooms for some months now. It would be amusing if we should finish up sharing the same cell. <laughs> do you really mean it, Watson? To the death. Well, you are a most delightful fellow. Uh, oh, do you think you could contrive to make us up a couple of masks? Masks? Hmm. Masks? In five minutes, from black silk. I have an old umbrella somewhere. Excellent. Then that'll be your contribution. For my part, I shall be delighted to teach you how to use a jemmy huh? and a glass cutter and this set of adaptable keys. Oh, 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 wonderful specimens here. In two hours' time, Watson, we shall be in Milverton's study, where he keeps his safe. It adjoins his bedroom, unfortunately, but uh, I think he's pretty sure to be sound asleep. My little fiancé tells me he always sleeps like a log. Is it a bargain, Watson?
6: It's a bargain, Holmes.
7: like it, Holmes. It was too little trouble. What do you mean because the door of the study wasn't even locked? Oh, some oversight. Look, look. There's a light under the bedroom door. Yes. He often falls asleep with the bedroom lamp still burning. I learned that from my fiancée, too. Now then, Watson, to work. Well, what do you want me to do? Stand over by the door there and give me a warning if we hear anyone coming. Right. If they come right in, we'll still have time to hide behind the window curtains. Right. I'll begin on the safe. Right, right. Now then, Skeleton keys. Ah, so. Oh, this fellow's a fool, you know. He ought to have had a much more modern safe than this one. <laughs> now, then, let's see. If I could only. Now, it... Holmes, Holmes. What is it, Watson? Confounded! I've almost got it open. Someone coming along the corridor. Two people. Ah, oh, deuce you take it. what a moment to choose? It's too bad. Quick, then, behind the curtain. You can't have been in bed after all. Must have been waiting in the hall for someone. Watson, are you all right? Yes, I think so. Rather a tight fit. Oh, there's a gap here. I can just see through. Someone's coming upstairs getting an oil lamp. Ah, it's Milverton, all right. There's a woman with him. Veiled.
9: Shh, they're coming in.
8: Well, miss, you decided to come then. Half an hour late.
9: I couldn't manage any earlier. My mistress kept me.
8: Well, if she's a hard mistress, you have your chance to get even with her. You tell me in your note that you've managed to get hold of some letters which compromise the Countess d'Albert.
9: Yes, I have.
8: You want to sell them and I want to buy them. So far, so good. I can use them in my business. Now, as to price...
9: The price, Mr. Milverton, for everything, is your life.
8: What do you mean, girl?
9: Look at me. She's lifting her veil, Holmes. That's no lady's maid. Great heavens! Is it you? Yes, it's I, Charles Milverton. And don't you dare to speak my name. You've fouled it enough. You've ruined me the way you've ruined so many others. You
8: should have found the money in time. And because
9: I couldn't, because I begged you for two days, Grace, you sent those letters you had to my husband. And he died. And you know how he died. The finest man in the world. And the letters were false. You changed the dates on them. They were written before I met him.
8: Keep back from me. Put that pistol down. No,
9: not till I've used it. You'll break no more hearts, Charles Milverton, as you've broken mine. You hound. You filthy hound!
7: Great heavens, Holmes. Quiet, man. He's done for. And she's got away, thank heaven. Who was that woman, Holmes? Surely you know that face, Watson. Not the Duchess. Never, never mention names, Watson. Now's our chance if we're quick. What are you doing, man? Safe, Watson. The papers in the safe. To save our own client and who knows how many more besides. Quick, put that bundle in your pocket, Watson. Yes, yes. Give the rest to me. Hurry. Someone must have heard the shots. Listen. There are people coming. Out of the window quickly, Watson. (laughs)
6: So we escaped down a convenient drain pipe over two garden walls and luckily found an empty hansom at the bottom of the road and reached baker street at last and safety (laughs) our adventure was over or almost over as i lay tossing sleeplessly in bed that night i found myself more than ever intrigued by the personality of my strange companion i recollected our first meeting only a few months before I'd just come back from medical service abroad and was moping miserably about this old London of ours of handsome cabs and fog and gaslight, doing simply nothing at all. And then, standing at a Piccadilly bar one day...
0: Hello there, Watson. Remember me? Uh,
6: why, yes. Stamford. Young Stamford.
0: Used to be a dresser under you and you were a medical student at Bart's,
6: remember? Of course I remember. Confound it, it's a pleasure to see a friendly face, Stamford. London's the very deuce for a lonely man.
0: Oh, what on earth have you been doing with yourself, Watson? You're
6: as thin as a lath and brown as a nut. Oh, oh Afghanistan, you know. Uh-huh. The campaign out there, army surgeon. I say, have a drink, will you? Thanks, you don't mind. Uh, start, I think. I got wounded pretty badly. At my wand, confounded nuisance, subclavian artery. Uh, two glasses of stout, please. Invalid it out, then, eh? And uh, what are you doing with yourself now? Nothing, nothing. Trying to solve the problem of finding comfortable rooms on an army pension,
0: 11 and 6 a day. <laughs> well, here's your health, Stamford. Yours, Watson. Here's to old times. Strange you should say that, you know. Say what? About looking for rooms. You're the second man today who said that to me. And who was the first? Oh, some fellow was working in the chemical lab up at the hospital... A fellow called Holmes. He wouldn't like to go halves, I suppose. Exactly what he was saying. Looking for someone to share with him, you know. I'm the very man, then. What's his other name? Sherringford, is it? No, 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 no. Sherlock. Knew it for something queer. Sherlock Holmes. What's he do? Oh, just if I know. He's got a whole store of out-of-the-way knowledge that would astonish the professors. And he's a first-class chemist. Says he's going in for something quite special. I say Watson. Huh? Let's go along to the lab and meet him. He's bound to be there. Let's have lunch somewhere and, and then go on, shall we? Excellent. I only hope it comes to something. I must confess, he sounds quite interesting. Uh, through this way. He's bound to be there. Uh, Mind you, Watson, you mustn't blame me if you don't get on with the fellow. He's pretty queer in his ideas. How do you mean? Well, I actually came on him the other day, beating the subjects in the dissecting room with a stick. What on earth for? said he wanted to find out how far bruises could be produced after death. Uh, Through here now. Mm. Gruesome tastes, eh? Still. Ah, there he is. The tall fellow behind all the test tubes and retorts.
7: I told you he'd be working. I say, Holmes... Stanford, Eureka! Stanford, I've just found this. Oh, found what, Holmes? A reagent which is precipitated by hemoglobin and by nothing else in all the world. Indeed. Well, I want you to meet Doctor Watson, Holmes. Watson, this is Mister Sherlock Holmes. How are you, Doctor? From Afghanistan, I perceive. What? How on earth did you know that? <laughs> Never mind. The question now is about hemoglobin. No doubt you see the significance of this discovery of mine. Oh, it's probably interesting enough chemically, but from the practical point of view, My I... My dear fellow, it's the most practical medico legal discovery for years. Don't you see that it gives us an infallible test for blood stains? Indeed? Yes. Criminal cases are always hinging on this kind of thing. A man suspected of a crime long after it's committed, let's say, and his linen turns out to have brownish stains on it. Yes, but are they blood or mud or rust stains or fruit stains or what? Now we have the Sherlock Holmes test, Dr. Watson, so there can be no more difficulty. Ah, they say you are to be congratulated, Mr. Holmes. Of course I am. There was the case of Von Bischoff at Frankfurt last year, and, and Mason of Bedford and Sampson of New Orleans. I could name a score of cases where the thing would have been decisive. By Jove, you're a regular walking calendar of crime, Holmes. Well, why not, eh? What could be more fascinating? Uh, have you a taste for such matters by any chance, Doctor? Oh, well, I confess it's been a little beyond my range. Oh, you get it, sir. You will, I assure you. The thing grips you like a drug.
0: Uh, Holmes, I wanted you two to meet because Watson's on the lookout for someone to share diggings with him. Oh. The same as you are.
7: Capital Doctor, you look the very man for me. I've had my eye on a suite in Baker Street. Number 221B. Uh, Mrs. Hudson is the landlady's name. Uh, you don't mind the smell of strong tobacco, I hope. I always smoke ships myself. <laughs> That's good enough, then. Oh, and I generally have a few chemicals about and carry out experiments like this one. That wouldn't annoy you? By no means. Well, then let me see. What are my other shortcomings? Oh, I get down in the dumps sometimes and don't open my mouth for days on end. And, um, oh, I have a fancy for revolver practice indoors. So long as I can rely on your aim. Infallible, I assure you. Now, what have you to confess? (laughs) Oh, well, I
6: get up at all sorts of ungodly hours and I'm very lazy. I... (laughs) I don't like too much row, but... but Oh, but I put up with the revolver shots. Good. I've got another set of vices when I'm well,
7: but these are the principal ones for the present. Then that's all right. Thank you, Stamford. I'm very much obliged to you. Well, shall we go together, Dr. Watson, and look at the rooms tomorrow? Uh, say, at noon? At noon, Holmes. It'll suit admirably. Oh, one other little thing. The violin. You don't include violin playing in your category of rouse. It depends on the player, my dear Holmes. If it's badly played... Ah, that's something I shall have to leave you to judge for yourself, my dear fellow. And I shall have pleasure in testing your ear with a few of my own little compositions. Then you will be able to judge my modest capabilities. Uh, Till tomorrow, then, my dear Dr. Watson. Till tomorrow. Till tomorrow.
6: So we took those rooms together and settled down quite amicably. As the weeks went by, my interest in my companion intensified. I studied his sharp, piercing eyes, his thin, hawk-like face, and I wondered time and again what he did for a living, so as to pay his share of our humble reckoning. He was out at all sorts of strange hours, and when he was at home, curious visitors were always calling on him and then he would ask if he might have our sitting room to himself. It was a thin, sallow, dark-eyed fellow called Lestrade, for instance, who came three or four nights in one week. Once, a fashionably-dressed young girl waited on him. At another time, it was a railway porter in his velveteen uniform. The thing puzzled me, until,
7: at last, one day... Ah, you wonder what I do for a living, Watson, eh? I've seen you looking quizzically once or twice at these visiting clients of mine. Clients? Yes. Yes. Oh, just pass me over the Persian slipper, will you, my dear fellow? I always keep the tobacco in it. Thank you. The fact is, I'm a professional thinker, Doctor. A thinker? Certainly. I piece things together, you see, just as a logician could infer the possibility of an Atlantic or a Niagara from a single drop of water without having seen or heard of either of them, so I build rare edifices of deduction from the observation of a few simple facts. Oh, oh come home. It's the truth, I assure you. If you're looking round for a cigar, by the way, my dear chap, you'll find them in the coal scuttle. Yes, yes, I have betrayed all my own, Watson. The only one in the whole world. I'm a consulting detective. Oh, oh. London's full of detectives' homes. Oh, lots of government ones and plenty of private ones, but none like me. I've built up quite a special little connection, Watson. And when any of these other fellows are at a loss, they generally come to me to put them right. Not just, just by thinking about things, I suppose. Exactly. I've a turn for observation and deduction, as you must have noticed. <laughs> that first time we met, for instance when I mentioned to your surprise that you'd just come from Afghanistan... Oh, you were told about it, no doubt. Nothing of the sort, Watson. I just knew. It's second nature to me. My train of thought ran something like this. Here's a fellow who's a doctor, but with the air of a military man, clearly an army surgeon, then. Just come from the tropics, for his face is dark, but that isn't his natural colour, for his wrists are fair. His arm is stiff... He's been wounded. Where in the tropics could an English army doctor have been wounded lately? And the obvious answer was in the Afghan campaign, probably the Battle of Maiwand
6: <laughs> It's simple enough when you explain it. I confess I was taken aback a bit at
7: the time. <laughs> and do you mean to say that you apply these principles to the detection of crime? Of course I do. That fellow Lestrade you were asking me about the other day, for instance, he's a Scotland Yard man, one of the best. But he got himself into a fog over a forgery case recently and came to me to ask my advice on the evidence he had. I solved it for him on the spot. Upon my life, you astonished me, Holmes. I had no idea that that was what you were up to. What what gave you the notion? Oh, natural talent, I suppose. When I was still at college, a small thing happened to come my way, which enabled me to solve a curious crime. I decided that I had a taste for such matters, and so here I am now, a professional investigator. That's the kind of thing I deal with in this life of mine, Watson. That, and of course my music.
6: Well, I never thought of you as a professional investigator of crime, even when you talked about it so much at the hospital that time we
7: met. Well, one really must do something to keep oneself from boredom. You may find yourself mixed up in it one of these fine days, you know. You never know, Watson, you never know.
6: And I was, of course, you know that now, with the Milverton exploit, as I've related it, as the first real adventure of them all in which I felt myself truly involved. It ended rather oddly, that burglary episode of ours. The very morning after it, after my sleepless night, there came in the little man I'd so often seen before.
7: The good Lestrade of Scotland Yard. Good morning, my dear Lestrade. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. I was
1: wondering... Oh, this is Dr. Watson, by the way. He was asking all about you the other day. How do you do, Doctor? Any friend of Mr. Holmes' is is a friend of mine. Delighted to meet you, Inspector. Well, sit down, won't you, and share a pipe with us? Too much of a hurry, I'm afraid. I just wanted to ask if you had anything particular on hand, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I don't think so. Nothing much. A little matter down at the docks involving a giant rat... From Sumatra. You're going to leave the rats look after themselves, Mr. Holmes. There's been murder done up at Hampstead. Wanted you to look into it for us. Queer business. Oh, really? Who's been murdered? Fellow called Milverton. Indeed.
7: I believe I've heard the name. Holmes. Holmes. Not feeling dicky, are you, Watson? Any
1: details, Lestrade? Well, no. Uh, we know who did it, of course. You know. Good heavens. Couple of them, doctor. Nearly yes. got em. They did. There oh. was a hue and cry, you see. They got away worse luck what they were seen. How interesting. And what are they supposed to look like? Well, first one, very tall. Either fellow, middle-sized, thick-necked man with a moustache. Moustache, They Watson. both had masks over their eyes.
7: Oh, 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 calmly straight. That's rather vague, isn't it? On my soul, it might even be a description of Watson and me. Eh, Watson? It might indeed.
1: <laughs> you're right, Mr. Holmes. You're perfectly right. <laughs> By Jove, it might be. <laughs> well, uh, uh, will you handle it?
7: I'm afraid not, Lestrade. Not this time. I know something of this fellow, Milverton. He was a rogue and a blackmailer. There are certain crimes that the law can't punish adequately, my dear fellow. And in this instance, my sympathies are with the criminals, Lestrade. I will not handle the case.
1: Mm, well, if you won't, you won't. Now, I'll get the fellows all right in time, I dare say. Will you, Lestrade? Oh, I do hope you may. Pass me my violin as you go out. There's a
7: good fellow. I feel deuced lazy this morning. Had rather a strenuous night. Pleasure, Mr. Holmes.
1: Well, good morning, Doctor. See you again, I dare say. Always in and out of Baker Street, you know. Good morning, Inspector. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. Good morning. Best of luck, Lestrade.
2: Oh. <laughs> well.
7: Another five minutes like that, Holmes. I'll take myself back to Afghanistan. Oh, no, you won't, Watson. You'll grow to love it, too. (laughs) This is only the beginning, my dear fellow. (laughs) Only the beginning.
2: (laughs) The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the
5: original stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, have been dramatized anew with original music composed by Sidney Torch, Sir Ralph Richardson played the part of Dr. Watson and Sir John Gilgood that of Sherlock Holmes. The programme was produced by Harry Allen Towers. Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The original and immortal stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew, with Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson and Sir John Gielgud in the role of Sherlock Holmes.
6: Christmas in our London of the 1880s With a sparkle round the gas lights And a glow on the hurrying passers-by Laden with mysterious passes With candled shop windows, heaped with toys With tinkling, hansoms hastening past With a million tall trees and a million tall drawing rooms Christmas. And in the glow and glory of it, I called at Baker Street to see my old friend Sherlock Holmes.
7: Compliments of the season, Holmes. Eh, who? What, who's that? Compliments of the season, Holmes. Oh, Watson, it's you. Good evening, how do you do? Well, I I must say that's
6: a dute cold
7: greeting for the time of year. But don't you believe in the Christmas spirit? Yes, yes, of course I do, my dear fellow. It's only that I'm profoundly engaged. My mind was elsewhere. Uh, Close the door, Watson, and come in. There's a confounded din from the street. Yes, that's much better. Sit down, won't you?
6: Of course, if you're engaged, Holmes,
7: I'd better not stay. i have still some visits to make to my patients. No, 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 of course. You know how glad I always am to have you, old friend, to discuss my problems with. Now, help yourself to a whiskey and soda, Watson. Oh, thank you. And just tell me what you think of that. Think of what? That. Hanging on the back of the chair there. I've been contemplating it for the last half hour.
6: It's, uh, it's only a hat. Uh, a simple, hard, black hat. Just so. You best sit down with me by the fire and tell me all about it. And I'll brew some punch.
7: Excellent, excellent, Watson. You know where everything is, of course. And meanwhile... I'll tell you the tale of this hat, and I ask you to consider it, Watson, not as a battered old billycock, but as an intellectual problem. Well, let me find the nutmeg greater
6: first, and I'm ready. Well, uh, yes, ah, here it is.
7: Well, then, you know Peterson, the commissioner at the hotel on the corner? But of course. Why? Is it his hat? No, his trophy. Huh? Trophy? Well, he found it. The owner is unknown. It arrived here, Watson, in company with a fine, fat goose... Which I have no doubt at this moment is roasting merrily in front of the Peterson's fire. Oh, well, a goose in the hat. No doubt the connection's obvious, but, uh,
6: but, uh, wh- where, 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 where you put the lemons, my dear fella?
7: Lemons? Oh, try the gazogene, stand. Now? Oh, well, then that hideous bamboo smoking companion that Mrs. Hudson will insist on sitting down beside the sofa every afternoon. Ah, yes, here <laughs> we are. Well, now the facts are these, Watson. Peterson, who's a very honest fellow, as you know, was returning about four o'clock this morning from some small seasonal jollification and walking homewards down the Tottenham Court Road. Oh, uh, stir the fire a bit, will you? My hands are full. Certainly, Watson. (laughs) Of course. In front of him, there in the gaslight, Peterson suddenly saw a tallish man with a stick walking with a slight stagger and carrying a white goose over his shoulder. Uh Uh-huh. As he reached the corner of Warren Street, this man was suddenly set upon by a crowd of ruffs. One of them knocked his hat off, and as he raised his stick to defend himself, he accidentally swung it against a shop window and smashed the glass. Oh, oh. what, what, what happened next, Holmes? Well, Peterson, who was still wearing his commissionaire's uniform, rushed to the man's assistance. But the fellow, shocked at breaking a window and seeing a man in uniform running up to him, dropped his goose and took to his heels. The ruffs did the same... Leaving Peterson, master of the field of battle, he brought both bird and hat to me. There was a card on the bird's leg with "For Mrs. Henry Baker written on it. And the initials H.B. are written on the label inside the hat. Uh-huh. But of course, there are some thousands of people named Baker in this great city of ours. So it has been my little occupation for this last hour or so to try and deduce the exact identity of this one. From his hat? Yes, Watson. The owner of this hat, Watson... Highly intellectual, fairly well-to-do, but in the space of the last three years seems to have fallen on evil days. He used to have foresight, but he has less now than formerly. I suspect he's taken to drink, which would also perhaps account for the fact that his wife no longer loves (laughs) him. Oh, my dear. (laughs) Middle-aged, goes out little, has grizzled hair, which he anoints with lime cream, and has been to the barber's lately. It is also extremely improbable that he has gas laid on in his house. Ah, oh,
6: come,
7: Holmes. No, you're surely joking. No, not at all. I've seen you at this kind of thing before, of course.
6: But this is going too far. His wife, Holmes. Ah. You <laughs> said she'd
7: stopped loving him. The hat hasn't been brushed for weeks, my dear fellow. Ah? Well, when I see you, Watson, with such an accumulation of dust on your respectable headgear, I shall expect you to be returning to your old quarters here within the next day or two. (laughs) Oh, you know, you've an
6: answer for everything wonderful, wonderful, except the gas. The fact that there's no gas laid on in his house. Now, that really is impossible. Not at all.
7: One tallow stain, or even two, might come by chance. But (coughs) when I see no less than five, I think there can be little doubt that the owner must be brought in frequent contact with burning tallow. Yes, he probably walks upstairs at night with his hat in one hand and a guttering candle in the other. Anyhow, he never got tallow stains from a gas jet. Satisfied? Ha! For myself. For It's
6: very, really, very really most, most ingenious. Elementary, my dear Watson. <laughs> well, I must say, it seems rather a waste of your talents. But there's been no crime committed. Nothing but the loss of a Christmas goose. That goose, my dear fellow. Mr.
0: Stoles, sir, you in?
7: Hello, hello, what's this? Who is it? Yes, come in. Mr. Stones. My dear Peterson. Oh, it's it's a goose, sir. Well, has it returned to life and flapped off through the kitchen window? You're as white as a sheet. Oh well, see yes, yes, here, sir. Here.
8: Look what my wife found inside its crop.
2: What? Look.
8: This this is treasure
7: trove, indeed, Peterson. Yes. A precious stone. One of the biggest I've ever seen. It's more than a precious stone, Watson. It's THE precious stone. The blue carbuncle. Great heavens! The the Countess of Morecars? Precisely. Missing for five days and with a descriptive advertisement every morning in the Times about it. And a reward of a thousand pounds for its recovery. A thousand pounds? Cool, love a duck. A goose, Peterson. Oh. A blue carbuncle. Yes, yes, I remember now. Lost at the Hotel Cosmopolitan. That's it, and they've arrested some plumber fellow who's supposed to have taken it from the Countess's jewel case.
10: thousand pounds reward. Oh,
7: God. I was reading about it only just now. Yes.
6: Here we are, here we are. The Hotel Cosmopolitan jewel robbery. John Horner, plumber, 26, was brought up on the charge of having abstracted from the jewel case of the Countess of Morcar... The valuable gem known as the blue carbuncle. What else, Watson? Well, it, it seems that this fellow Horner was taken up to the Countess's room by her maid, a girl called Catherine Cusack, to do some kind of repair. Mm-hmm. When the head attendant of the hotel went in, a fellow called James Ryder, to see if the work was finished, he found the jewel case was lying empty and that Horner had gone. When he gave the alarm, and Horner was found by the police. They arrested him. The case has been referred to the Assizes.
7: Mm. Well, then, the only problem remaining to be solved is the sequence of events leading from an empty jewel case in a hotel room at one end to the crop of a goose in the Tottenham Court Road at the other. Uh, just give me a pencil and that slip of paper, will you, Peterson? Huh? Oh, oh, yes, sir. A thousand pounds. Oh, bring me down here, yes, sir. What are you going to do, Holmes? Find the owner of this hat. H.B. Henry Baker, yes. He began as a joke, and now he's become a mystery. we will try the simplest method first. An advertisement. How's this, Watson? Read it. Found at the corner of Warren Street,
6: a goose and a black felt hat. Mr. Henry Baker can have the same by applying at 6.30 this evening at 221
7: Baker Street. Clear and concise, I think. Yes, if you've quite recovered from your astonishment, Peterson. Uh, sir? Just run down to the advertisement office and have this put in all the evening papers, will you? All of them, sir? All of them. Oh, and by the way, Peterson. Sir? On your way back, just see if you can buy another goose. Another goose, sir? Yes, as near as possible the same size as that one that your family is about to devour. Oh, 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 yes, sir. <laughs> You're going to keep the stone, sir? Yes, here in my strong box. And I'll just drop a note to the Countess to say we've found it. Hurry up, Peterson. Oh yes, sir. Thousand
0: pounds, cool. 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 Of course, ton No, no, the geese, Peterson. <laughs>
7: Uh, Mr. Henry Baker, if I'm not mistaken. Do come in, Mr. Baker. Oh, thank you, sir. (laughs) Sit down, won't you? Pray sit down. Thank you. Uh, This is my good friend, Dr. Watson.
9: Uh, How do you do, sir? How do you do?
7: Uh, Mayn't I help you to a whiskey and soda, Mr. Baker? Oh,
9: oh, oh, thank you. I'll, uh i leave out the soda, if I may, Mr. Holmes. Oh, of course.
7: You see, Watson?
6: Congratulations, Holmes, the very man as you described him.
7: I beg your pardon? Uh,
6: oh, nothing, sir. Forgive us uh, a private matter.
7: Now, Mr. Baker, you've come, haven't you, in answer to my advertisement. Is this your hat? This? Oh, yes, sir, undoubtedly. Then pray allow me to return it to you with my compliments. The bird, I am afraid, we've been compelled to eat. What? Oh, dear. Care- careful, careful, Mr. Baker, you'll... You spilled your drink. It was quite a necessity, I'm afraid, since in these modern days we seem to have lost the art of refrigeration in which our Elizabethan ancestors were so adept. However, there's this other bird here on the sideboard to which you're extremely welcome as a replacement. That's uncommonly kind of you, sir. Not at all. Of course, uh, we still have the feathers and the crop of your own bird.
9: If you'd like to take them, too. Oh, 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 oh. oh, you're an honest man, sir, but the disjected member of my late acquaintance are hardly likely to be of much use to me. <laughs> 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 but, but I will have one more drink, if I may. Very small. Most certainly. Uh, would it trouble you, Mr. Baker, to tell me where you got that uncommonly fine bird of yours? Not at all, sir. I'm a member of a Christmas goose club run by the landlord of the Alpha Inn near the museum. The Alpha Inn, Watson? Uh Aha. I got it there in exchange for my weekly fourpences, which I've been paying since last April. That's good value for 12 shillings, Mr. Baker, eh? Yes, (laughs) yes. I I really am most grateful to you for your kindness, sir. I I was set on by some roughs in the street, and I, I lost it.
7: All's well that ends well, Mr. Baker. We were fortunate enough to find it, so... Here's your hat, and here is your new bird. Oh, I've put the old ticket onto it, the one that was tied to the other goose's leg, marked to Mrs. Henry Baker. Oh, how nice of you.
9: (laughs) I'm much obliged, sir. Well, not at all. A peace offering, Mr. Baker. A peace offering, sir, in point of fact. To my better half. Ah, quite. Uh, good night, sir, and thank you again. Good,
6: good night. night. Good night, Mr. Baker. Good, good night. night,
7: sir. Well, 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 well. So much for Mr.
6: Henry Baker, Watson. Well, it's quite evident that he was innocent, of course, from the trap you laid. I mean, about the feathers and the
7: crop. Yes, evident. I suggest, Watson, that we turn that proposed dinner of ours into a late supper. I'll tell Mrs. Hudson she'll forgive us. And in the meanwhile, let's follow up the clue of the Alpha Inn. By all means, Holmes, I confess I'm most intrigued. As I'm afraid we shall have to battle our way out through those infernal waits who are making night so hideous on our humble doorstep. Come, Watson, we've work to do this Christmas Eve.
6: It was a bitter night, and so we drew on our ulsters and wrapped our mufflers about our throats. We swung through the doctor's quarters of Wimpole Street and Harley Street, and so along the great thoroughfare of Oxford Street, where the crowds were thinning now to Bloomsbury. And there, in a forgotten corner, we found the Alpha Inn. And from the rosy landlord, learnt that the geese for his Christmas club had come from a dealer... Named Breckenridge in Covent Garden.
1: Yes,
7: here's the market, Holmes. What was the name of the goose dealer? Breckenridge, Watson. Yeah, there it is, you see? The largest stall of the lot. There's the name written up over it.
6: Yes, just in time, they're closing up.
7: Hmm, horsey-looking fellow, isn't he? What's that you say, horsey? Good for you, Watson. That fact might come in useful. Ah, oh, good evening, Mr. Breckenridge. Mm, it's a cold night. Uh, cold enough, I reckon. Glad to get finished.
3: Sold out of geese, I see. Let's have 500 tomorrow morning. Ah, oh, that's no good, I'm afraid. We want one tonight. Here, yeah, there's someone that stall over there with a gas flare. Now, excuse me, Oh, well, we sir.
6: were recommended to you
7: particularly, Mr. Breckenridge. Oh? Who by? By the landlord of the Alpha Inn in Bloomsbury. Yes, you supplied him with some incomparable birds, he told us. Where did you get them from,
3: by the way? Now, look here. What exactly are you driving at, mister? Why, nothing. Only that I wanted to know who sold you those geese. I'm dashed if I tell you then. You're another one to pester on me, are you? Another one? What do you mean? When I pay good money for a thing, that should be the end of it, I say. But it's, where are those geese? And who did you sell those geese to? Till I'm sick of it. you think that lot were the only geese in the world, the way some folk keep on at me about them.
7: Well, I can assure you that we've nothing to do with any other people who've been making inquiries, Mr Breckenridge... In fact, all I'm concerned with is a little bet I've made. A bet? Just so. I'm always ready to back my opinion, and I've bet a fiver with my friend the doctor here that the bird we ate from the Alpha
3: Inn was country bread. You've lost your fiver, then, because it was town bread. No, 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 it was nothing of the kind. It was, I tell you. God, do you think you know more about fowls than I do when I've been in a trade, man and boy, but... I tell you, it's country bread. Each town. Here, will you take a bet with me, too? With pleasure, a sovereign, every penny of it. Right, it's on now. Where's that ruddy book of mine? Ha ha! Here it is. Here, just look in there, Mister Oh, What's this? That's the list of the folk I buy from, see, and what I do with the stuff when I've bought it. Now then, look at that name there, d'ye see. Can you see it, Watson, in this light? Yes, yes. Missus Oakshot, isn't it? That's right, Missus Oakshot. And what's the address? eh? one hundred and seventeen Brixton Road. Egg and poultry supplier. Brixton Road, Mr. Iron Mighty. And what's the last entry under it, eh? December the 22nd, 24 geese at seven and six. And who would I sold to, eh? Sold to Mr. Windygate of the Alpha at 12 shillings. Right. And so what do you say now, Mr. Blooming Poultry fancier?
11: (laughs) Well, I must say I could
7: have sworn it was country red. All right, you win, Mr. Breckenridge. There's your sovereign. Thank you. Come along, Doctor. You five, I think. (laughs) Yes, you do.
3: Easy money, that's what I say. Well, good evening, James. Merry Christmas. Good (laughs) evening, Mr. Breckenridge.
7: Well, Watson, let's stand here by the gas lamp for a moment. I want to think.
3: I'll tell you what, I don't know nothing about it. Well, you're ready, my Lord, too, then. You Thank get out of here,
8: I'll tell you. Hello, what's going on? Was oh, so there some kind of a quarrel? Oh, back there at Breckenridge's store. Oh yes, so there is. Let's see what's
6: the matter. Look, look, that little rat-faced fella, do you see? Breckenridge is threatening
3: him. Now, I tell you, I've had enough of you angel blooming geese. I was only asking you. Yeah, well, you've asked the same before, and you've got the same ruddy answer. You ain't anybody else. Well, one of them geese was mine, I say. Well, you can ask Mrs. Blooming Oakshot for well, it. She told me to ask you. Yeah, then you can ask the King of Prussia for all I care. You get off now. Go on, I'll knock your teeth out, mind you. Here, here, go on. Oh,
11: give it a minute of
3: teeth, honey boy. boy. Go on, <laughs> bloomin you
9: blooming nosy you. The little
7: fellow's coming this way, Watson. It looks as like if we've saved our trip to Brixton. You want me to collar him? Stand by if he gets nasty he looks Looks a bit of a shrimp though, not much trouble. Here, my man, not so fast. I'd just like a word with you. What? Hey. Here, there we go. What do you want? I couldn't help overhearing your little disagreement with the good salesman over there, and I think I might be able to assist you.
11: How do you mean? How could you know
7: anything? Who are you, eh? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it's my business to know what other people don't know. Well, you can't do anything about this. On the contrary, you're trying to trace some geese which were sold by a Mrs. Oakshot to that man there who sold them to the landlord of the Alpha Inn, who got rid of them through his goose club, of which Mr.
11: Henry Baker is a member. What? Why, you're the very man I've been looking for, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I can hardly tell you how much it means to me. Watson, be good enough to signal for a four-wheeler, will you? Yes, Uh, certainly.
7: I think, my friend, we'd better discuss this whole matter in some cosy place, rather than in the crowded street. Uh, We'll go to my room, shall we? Oh, what's your name, may I ask? Uh, my name's, uh, Robinson. John Robinson. No, 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 the real name. It's always so awkward doing business with an alias. All right, then. James Ryder. Ah, head attendant of the Hotel Cosmopolitan, yes. I believe. Quite so. Yeah, you have the cab, Watson. Just coming over, home. Splendid, splendid. Now, would you mind just standing on Mr. Ryder's other side and uh, just take him by the arm, will you? He might have a fancy to go for a little walk. Well, now, here we are. The fire looks very seasonable this weather. Do put some more coal on, would you, Watson? Now then, pray take the basket chair, Mr. Ryder. You look chilly. I'll make some more punch, I think, Holmes. We could all do with a warming. Thank you, Watson, if you will. You'll find the lemons behind you on the gasoline stand. And the nutmeg scraper? There, behind the Persian slipper. Oh, you might hand it to me, will you, dear fellow? I'd like some tobacco. Certainly. Thank you so much. Well now, Mr. Ryder. Yes, sir? You... um... You want to know what became of those geese, Mr. Ryder, or rather of that goose. For I fancy it was only one that you were interested in, a white one with a black bar across its tail.
11: Oh, if you could only tell me, sir, I'd be that grateful. Mm. It's really mine, you see, sir. It was sold by mistake. (laughs) And a most remarkable bird,
7: if I may say so, Mr. Ryder. Watson, hand me over my strong box, if you please. Uh, That bird laid an egg after it was dead, Mr. Ryder. The bonniest, brightest little blue egg that ever was seen. I have it here. Oh, merciful heaven. The game's up, Ryder. Steady, man, steady, or you'll be in the fire. Hang on to him, Watson. It's all right, Holmes, I've got it. Almost fainting, poor devil. I'll get him a brandy. Poor devil, eh? Heavens, what a worm the fellow is. He's
11: not got blood enough to go in for felony. <laughs> but there you are, my man. Drink it up. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Oh, what have I done? What have I done? You
7: know perfectly well what you've done, Ryder. It only needs one or two more links, Watson, to make the case complete. Now then, Ryder, who told you of the Countess of Morka's jewel, the blue carbuncle? It, it was Catherine Cusack, sir. I swear it was her idea. The Countess's waiting-maid home. Exactly. And so you invented some excuse to send that unfortunate young Horner into the Countess's hotel room, and after he was gone, you rifled the jewel case, raised the alarm, and put the
11: blame onto him.
7: Yes, sir, I did, sir. Uh,
11: oh, for heaven's sake, have mercy, Mr. Holmes. I, I never went wrong before. It was Cathy who was to blame. Get oh, up, please, off, off, sir. Oh,
7: man. It's no
11: good kneeling to me. You didn't much mercy to Horner, did you? Oh, I'll leave the country, sir. The, the charge will break down against get him. Get up. Get up.
7: Watson, help me onto his feet for heaven's sake.
11: What I want to know is how
6: the stone got into the goose rider. There, man, take another drink.
11: Oh, well, it, it was all a mistake, you see, sir. Once I had it, I wanted to hide it somewhere. It, it seemed to burn a hole in my pocket. So I went to my sister's, you see, to think things out. Your sister? And Maggie. She married a man called Oakshot. Aha. Uh-huh. And she fattens fowls for the market at Brixton. Ah, Oakshot, eh? Well, I was thinking it out in her yard, see, smoking a pipe like. And I remember that Maggie had promised me a bird for Christmas, so I had an idea. Are you forced the stone down the bird's throat? <sighs> yes. Well, just then, Maggie came out to see what I was up to, and the bird got free for a minute. But I went and caught it again, and Maggie and I killed it. I had a notion to take the stone to a chap I knew up in Kilburn that told me once he knew how to get rid of stolen property. And I thought it would be safe from any search in the bird's crop, you see, sir. Even if the police did take it into their hands to stop me. They weren't all that certain about Orney, you see. Ah, when you got to Kilburn, it wasn't there. No, sir, so I rushed back to Maggie. By that time, all the other birds had gone to market, see. There was two of them with barred tails, you see, sir. I'd caught the wrong one after it had got away. I've been at that stall at the garden ever since, trying to find out where it had gone. Oh, Mr. Holmes. Ah.
7: Well, what are you going to do, Holmes? I'm not quite sure, but I think all things considered, it might be best to... Get out, Ryder. What? You mean... I mean, get out, ma'am. Oh, heaven bless you, Mr. Holmes. I sir. don't want to hear any more from you. Get oh, out. Oh, thank you, Mr. Get Holmes. Out. Well, heaven bless you, sir. Well, well, a most singular and whimsical business, my dear Watson. Ah, my dear Holmes. Shouldn't you have turned him in? Well, when all's said and done, Watson, I'm really not retained by the police to supplement their deficiencies. As soon as I send the stone back, the case against Horner will collapse at once. There'll be no witness. But you're committing a felony, you know. Well, it's just possible that I'm also saving a soul. I don't believe he'll go wrong again. He's too scared. Besides, Watson... Well? Well, this is the season of forgiveness, man. Listen. Twelve o'clock. It's Christmas Day. Oh, pass me some of that delicious punch of yours, won't you? And tell me you forgive me too. Forgive you? In heaven's name for what? For being so surly yesterday morning when you offered me the compliments of the season. I return them now with all my heart. And here's your health, old friend, with my glass upraised. A Merry Christmas, my dear Watson. A Merry Christmas, Holmes. God save her gracious majesty. Amen.
0: The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. we present the original stories of the late Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew with Sir John Gilgood as Sherlock Holmes, Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson, and today, Orson Welles as Professor Moriarty.
6: It is with a heavy heart that I come before you with the last adventure of my friend Sherlock Holmes that I shall be able to relate. I have tried in my humble way to chronicle some of our exploits together to demonstrate the singular gifts of that most remarkable of men. It lies with me now to tell you what occurred between Holmes and his arch enemy, Professor Moriarty, when at last they came face to face. Mr. Sherlock
10: Holmes, your efforts on the side of law and order have seriously inconvenienced me. The situation between us is becoming an impossible one, Mr. Holmes. It simply cannot go on. One or the other of us must die. Must die, Mr. Holmes.
6: It was in the spring of 1891... You will remember, perhaps, that after my marriage and return to private practice, Holmes and I had drifted apart a little. I followed the newspaper reports of his cases, of course, and called on him quite often at the old rooms in Baker Street. Even so, however, many weeks would sometimes elapse between our meetings. And so, it was with some surprise, one April evening, that I looked up and saw him standing before me in my study.
7: Good evening, Watson. Ah, oh, good evening, Holmes. Have you a cigarette for me? Holmes, it in... great heavens, man, how ill you look. Oh, I dare say I've been using myself up rather too freely of late, old friend. You've no objection if I close your window shutters? No, of course not. You're not afraid of anything, are you? Well, to tell you the truth, I am rather. Well, it's not like you, Holmes. What is it? Air guns. Air guns? What on earth do you mean? There's a new and deadly type of air gun, Watson, which has been specially designed by an old acquaintance of ours. Who? what, Professor Moriarty? It can only be he from your tone. The same. A match. Give me a match, will you, my dear fellow? Yes, of course. Oh, thank you. Is uh, Mrs. Watson at home? Oh, no, no she, she's on a visit to an aunt. Oh, good. quite alone. Good, good. That makes it easier for me to propose uh, that you should come away with me for a few days. Oh, delighted. <laughs> but where? Oh, the continent. Somewhere abroad. Huh? Abroad? Yeah, is that whiskey in the decanter there?
6: Yes. Yeah. Now, look here, Holmes. What's all this about? There's something more serious in your manner than...
7: Uh, you never did quite believe in the iniquities of Moriarty, did you, Watson? You've said so more than once. <laughs> I felt you exaggerated a bit. After all, Professor Moriarty is a respectable figure in public life. Just so, and that's the very genius of the man. Even you, Watson, knowing me as you do, can't quite believe me when I tell you that he corrupts all London with his evil influence. Oh, I can't quite believe that. Oh, of course, to the world he's still the professor, the great mathematician. He's respectable.
6: But what real proof have you that he's anything else? None. Well?
7: At least... Not until this last month. And even now the chain isn't quite complete. But three days more, and I shall have it, Watson. Three days more, if I live to see them. You can't seriously suppose that your life's in danger, Holmes? No. Oh, you always love to be melodramatic. Melodramatic? Listen, Watson, this morning, this very morning... In those old rooms of ours in Baker Street, I saw him face to face. I spoke to him. Moriarty? Your distinguished professor. Within him, a criminal strain of the most diabolical kind. That great white dome of a forehead, those hooded eyes, and the white face pushed forward, oscillating from side to side like a snake. Oh, of course, if you believe the old heresy of physiognomy... It isn't only that, of course not. I've worked for years to follow a thousand different threads, and every one of them has led to Moriarty. He's the Napoleon of crime, Watson, the secret organizer of almost everything evil that goes undetected in this great city of ours. There he sits, motionless, like a spider in the center of its web, a web with a thousand strands, and he controls them, every one. But slowly, very slowly, my own secret plans to expose him have borne fruit. Every day my net is drawing tighter, and he knows it, Watson. He knows the danger he's in, and that was why today he came to see me. I was playing my violin, as you know I often do when I want to think, and suddenly there he was, standing in the doorway, with his white face swaying in that evil way, peering at me with his hooded eye. Good morning. Professor Moriarty. Good
10: morning to you. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, I believe. How very charmingly you play.
7: How kind of you to say so. Hmm. Won't you be seated, Professor Moriarty?
10: I can spare you just five minutes. Singularly good of you, thank you. I will sit down. May I say something personal, Mr. Holmes? Certainly. I'm surprised to discover that you have rather less cranial
7: development than... One might have expected. Uh, well, as you, on the contrary, have rather more than I had imagined, Professor. Uh, you will recollect, I am sure, however, that Beethoven's outdid us both. <laughs> <laughs> however, our personal characteristics are hardly relevant to the present situation.
10: What have you really got to say to me? Um, well, perhaps I only suggested. Of course, perhaps. It is a dangerous habit to finger loaded firearms in the pocket of one's dressing gown, Mr. Holmes.
7: Ah, Evidently you share that dangerous habit, Professor. I see that you keep your hand in the pocket of your morning coat. (laughs) Supposing we lay our pistols and our cards on the table?
10: By all means. I was about to suggest it myself. Ah, I see you favor the Mauser type, Mr. Holmes, and without a silencer. You must permit me to present you sometime with one of these small devices of my own design. They're quite convenient in avoiding unpleasant noise, you know.
7: How very kind of you, Professor. You must ask the hangman to deliver it to me as your last request.
10: You evidently don't know me, Mr. Holmes.
7: On the contrary, I think I know you better than you know yourself. I wouldn't take up your gun again, Professor. I've already got you covered with mine.
10: So I perceive, but I assure you it was only to give a harmless demonstration. Of the silencer? Of my own small accomplishments as a marksman, Mr. Holmes. I've read in those accounts of Dr. Watson, that somewhat bovine... I beg your pardon? ...no doubt amiable friend of yours, that those marks on the wall there are made from your indoor revolver practice. Quite so. The
7: initials there, V.R., Victoria, Regina, God save Her Majesty. Now
10: that I see them, it seems perhaps they're not quite as symmetrical as they might be. One side of the V is a little short, I think. Permit me to correct the slip.
7: Admirable Professor Moriarty, you were perfectly right, of course. That little mistake has now been rectified. I would like, however, if I may, to improve upon it. Your bullet mark is perhaps a shade smaller than my own. Permit me...
10: Admirable, Mr Holmes.
7: Yes, precisely... Above your own mark, Professor. The exact spot, I think. No, no, pray don't look alarmed. My good landlady is quite accustomed to that noise. We shall not be disturbed.
10: I am very glad of it, for what I have to say is not without importance, Mr. Holmes. Shall we stop our fencing and begin?
7: By all means, if you will permit me first to correct one statement that you made just now. Well, sir? With reference to my friend Dr. Watson. I am afraid I can hardly permit the adjective bovine. Oh? In his accounts of my humble exploits, He's been good enough to exaggerate my own achievements and has always been unduly modest about his own. He is a most upright and honourable gentleman, Professor, and very close to my heart. You may say what you will about me, but I can allow no derogatory words about him.
10: Very well, Mr Holmes. I apologise. We who are about to die salute him. (laughs) At least you do.
7: You're very certain, aren't you, Professor Moriarty,
10: that it is I who am going to die. There is no other course. Unless you listen to reason. The situation between us, Mr. Holmes, is becoming an impossible one. It simply cannot go on.
7: It won't, I assure you. For these past few months, I've been working to put an end to it
10: all at the earliest possible moment. And you have very nearly undone the careful endeavor of a lifetime, sir. Or at least have seriously threatened it. No, no, no. Don't move. Your pistol again. I'm only taking out my memorandum book.
7: I beg your pardon. I
10: find it recorded here... And you crossed my path on the 4th of January, Holmes. On the 23rd, you incommoded me. By the middle of February, I was seriously inconvenienced by you. At the end of March, I was absolutely hampered. And now at the close of April, I find myself placed in such a position, through your continual persecution, that I'm in positive danger of losing my liberty. That was certainly the end I had in view. Then you must drop it, Mr. Holmes. You really must, you know. Not till after Monday,
7: Professor... You know as well as I do that you've made a slip, one single tiny slip. For years I've been aware of you, Moriarty, at the center of your organization. Forgeries, murder cases, robberies. A thousand crimes were planned by you. A hundred agents carried them out. Your subordinates were caught sometimes, but you never were. And yet, you know, you made that slip that single tiny slip. And you know as well as I do that it will destroy you. In three more days, my evidence will be complete. I shall have you exposed, brought to trial, condemned, and hanged. And you can do nothing whatever to prevent it. My will is inflexible.
10: And so is mine. Three days, do you say? And before they're out, the end will come. One or the other of us must die, sir.
7: Quite so. The five minutes is up, Professor, and I must really ask you to excuse me. In the pleasure of our conversation, I'm afraid that I've neglected business
10: of importance elsewhere. Very well, then. Seems a pity, Mr. Holmes, that I've done what I could. I admit that it's been an intellectual pleasure, me, to see the way in which you grappled with this affair, but I tell you solemnly, Sherlock Holmes, that if you are clever enough to bring destruction on me you may rest assured that I shall do as much to you.
7: You have paid me several compliments during this interview, Professor. Let me pay you one in return when I say that if I were assured of the former eventuality, I would most cheerfully accept the latter.
10: I can promise you the one, but not the other. Good day, Mr. Holmes. Oh,
7: your pistol, Professor. You may need it before Monday. Thank you. Good day, Professor.
10: I think goodbye is the word, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Goodbye.
7: And so it was, you see, Watson, that singular interview with the greatest criminal of all time. And his with the greatest detective. Oh, thank you, my dear fellow. But but what are you going to do, Holmes? I told you, we leave for the Continent. Moriarty's not the man to let the grass grow under his feet. Already one or two accidents have nearly befallen me today. Upon myself? Yes. The police are gathering all my evidence against him. Everything will be complete in three short days. Meanwhile, I can only lie low. Uh, Are you able to leave your practice to come with me? I have an accommodating neighbor. Ah, Dear Watson, I knew I could count on you. All right, then. Now, these are your instructions. Listen most carefully. Instructions, Holmes? I assure you, they are most necessary. Tomorrow morning at 8.45, you will take a handsome cab. I'll arrange for one to call. No, no, you really must obey me to the letter, Watson. You'll leave the house alone tomorrow morning and take neither the first nor the second cab which presents itself at the rank. Very well, Holmes. Hand the address to the cabman written on a slip of paper and tell him not to throw it away. And I drive, I take it, to Victoria Station. On the contrary, you drive to the strand end of the Lowther Arcade. I see. And then? Have your fare ready and the instant your cab stops, pay him and dash through the arcade, timing yourself to reach the other side at exactly a quarter past nine. Yes, but my dear no. listen, I... man. Listen carefully. It's vital. Our lives depend upon it. When you get there, you'll find a brougham standing close to the curb, driven by a fellow with a black cloak tipped with red. Say nothing. Simply jump in, and he'll drive you to Victoria in time for the Continental Express. And where shall I meet you, Holmes? The second coach from the front of the train, a first-class carriage reserved for us. Good night, Watson. And as you value our lives, don't forget a single word of my instructions. No, 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 of course not, Holmes. Until we meet tomorrow, then.
6: Until we meet... I was infected myself with something of his own inner excitement and sense of menace. I took the hansom and then the brougham with its massive hooded driver. I said nothing to him as I was instructed and he never spoke to me. A moment later we were rattling to the station. There he left me and drove off without a further glance, his face still hidden. There was no sign of Holmes, and my heart sank miserably. I found our reserved carriage, but through some confusion a decrepit old Italian priest was sitting there. The moment came for departure. Still I waited by the window in a chill of fear.
7: Excuse a signor. Pray go. Yeah, I'm sorry, Padre, tell... I don't speak Italian. Nor do I, what? Oh, oh.
2: Good! <laughs> but
6: Holmes!
7: No, quiet, you. quiet man, this is no laughing matter, not yet anyway. There, You see?
0: Stop! Stop the train!
7: It's Moriarty himself, the tall man? He'll never do it. Stop
5: the train, I say! Hey,
2: Step back Let goes. me go, you fool! No, no, oh, no, i you
4: no, only you! No, no, Let me go! go.
7: Even the great Moriarty himself is helpless against the British railway system, Watson. Well, well, it gives us an hour's respite, at least. But how, how did he know where we were? By watching you, I expect. But I did everything you told me. Uh,
6: wait, Holmes, the driver of the Rome. Well, what about him? He was muffled. I
7: didn't see his face. It must have been one of Moriarty's men. My dear Watson, it was nothing of the sort. It was my brother Mycroft, shaken for once out of his armchair at the Diogenes Club. Oh, heavens. The thing is serious, then? Of course. But at least we have an hour, and I can use it to take off this disguise and think things over. But we've escaped him altogether, surely, since the train connects with the boat? My dear fellow, you evidently don't realize even now that Moriarty is an opponent on practically the same intellectual plane as myself. Do you really imagine that if I were the pursuer, I would permit myself to be baffled by so slight an obstacle as an express train? What'll he do, then? What I should do, engage a special. But it'll be too late, even then. By no means. We stop at Canterbury, don't forget. And then there's always a delay of a quarter of an hour when the train gets to Dover. Oh, so you'd almost think we were the criminals to be chased like this? You mean that he'll catch us after all, then? I hope not. We shan't be
6: there, Watson. Look, look here, Holmes. I, I hate to grumble after all this time, but...
7: Really, I do think you ought to tell me what you mean. Heaven bless you for a stout and faithful friend, Watson. I'm sorry. It's only that... Well, well, I don't want to expose you to danger, too. That's why I'm being so mysterious. It's very simple, really. We shall just get out at Canterbury. Indeed. And not go on the continent after all, I suppose. yes, we must do that. We've no choice but to hide away until after Monday, when the evidence will have been completed you've not seen the papers this morning i suppose oh really holmes what time do you think i've had for that <laughs> one must try to make time for everything watson you really should have read about baker street hmm? what baker street yes they set fire to our rooms last night mrs hudson was away from home fortunately and no one was hurt i'm glad to say they thought i was there of course oh my soul the thing's intolerable holmes. yes only till monday watson and by then we'll be in switzerland we'll make a cross-country journey from Canterbury and take the other boat from New Haven to Dieppe. Uh, unless, of course... What? Our friend the Professor deduces what I would deduce and gets off at Canterbury himself. Ah, that would truly be a coup de maître. He surely never would. Well, I rather doubt it. There are limits even to his intelligence. No, no, I think we are safe enough, old friend. And now there's time for a pipe, I fancy. Won't you join me, Watson?
6: and thus it befell. As we hid behind a pile of luggage at Canterbury, we saw the single carriage of the special go thundering past us. And so we made our way across country and at last reached Switzerland. It seemed we had eluded him. To fill in every detail of the final scene is hardly possible, since there was no witness to it. Yet, from a certain source that I cannot yet divulge, I do know something of that last encounter. We wandered at our will through the lovely valley of the Rhone and made our way by way of Interlaken to the little township of Mirrigan among the Alps. The fatal Monday came and went. And yet I was still aware of a strange, febrile excitement in my companion. He was at times feverishly on the alert, then sinking into reverie, and would smile strangely to himself. I went with him on that last day of all on a visit to the falls of Reichenbach, forever hallowed and yet cursed in my memory. It's a fearful place indeed, with a torrent plunging far below into a tremendous abyss, a chasm lined by coal black glistening rock, High above, a pathway's been cut in the cliff face to afford a better view. But it ends abruptly in mid-air, and the traveller has to return as he came. We stood there, giddily marvelling at the great spectacle. And on the instant, came a message for me by a village lad to say that an English lady back at the hotel was seriously ill and needed my immediate attention. I turned to go. I looked back, and I saw Holmes leaning against a rock with his arms folded, gazing down at the rush of the waters. It was the last I saw. Of it.
7: Is that you, Watson? Back already?
10: Well Moriarty. Well, Sir Holmes, you see I found you after all. And alone. Alone, as indeed you must be, too.
7: Now that your Confederates are all under lock and key, I've Mm -hmm. heard from Scotland Yard.
10: I escaped. I was too clever for them, Holmes. I
7: don't doubt it. But I'm afraid your occupation's gone, Professor, with your organization destroyed, unless you care to return to your mathematics.
10: It was not my intention. I have another, more immediate intention, Sherlock Holmes. Are you prepared?
7: But before we discuss that, perhaps you extend me one small courtesy, Professor.
10: Most certainly. What is it?
7: My friend Watson, Professor. No doubt he will be somewhat concerned. Uh, may I just take a moment to scribble a note to him?
10: Certainly. We can fix the paper beneath my stuck there, so that it does not blow away. Pray take as long as you wish. That's very good of you. Please... Don't stop talking, Professor.
7: I mastered long ago the art of writing and conversing at the same time. Thank you.
10: You know, of course, that the message to write for Dr. Watson was a false one.
7: Oh, yes, of course. I knew it at once. And that it could only come from one source.
10: And yet you let him go?
7: Yes, Professor, I let him go. I am not without some affection for him. I did not wish to put his life in danger, too. Besides... Besides? (laughs) I've looked forward for a long time to this final duel between us...
10: I believe it, Holmes. You're a very remarkable man. In many ways. Many, many ways, sir. I'm proud to have known you.
7: Oh, and I you, Professor. There, my letter's done, then. Perhaps you'll be kind enough to place it as you suggested. Right. Now, how shall it be, Moriarty?
10: I did not bring a pistol, Holmes.
7: Thank you. Your courtesy puts me to shame, Professor. Here is my pistol. It goes into the falls.
10: Hand to hand? Yes. Goodbye,
7: Professor Moriarty.
10: Goodbye, Sherlock Holmes.
6: The end, the end. When I returned to that broken pathway, it was only too clear what had happened. It needed no great application of Holmes' own methods of deduction. Two sets of footsteps to the verge, and none returning. Locked in each other's arms as they fought, they had gone down to the abyss. Only the letter the last greeting from my friend and comrade. My
7: dear, dear Watson, he wrote. My dear, dear Watson, I scribble this through the courtesy of Professor Moriarty, who awaits my convenience for the final discussion of those eternal questions which lie before us. There can be but one outcome, although I fear that it is at a cost which will give pain to my friends and especially, my dear Watson, to you. I think, however, that I may go so far as to say that I have not lived entirely in vain. Pray tell Inspector Patterson that the papers which he needs for a full conviction of the Moriarty gang are in pigeonhole M. Before leaving England, I made every disposition of my property and handed it over to my brother Mycroft. Pray give my affectionate greetings to Mrs. Watson and remember me as I used to be in our old days at Baker Street. Pacing to and fro with my violin and driving you to a point of sad distraction with that theme you still were good enough to say you loved. Believe me to be my very dear good fellow. Yours most sincerely, Sherlock Holmes. Yours most sincerely,
6: Sherlock Holmes. And so he perished. Whom I shall ever regard as the best and wisest man that I have ever known.
0: The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the original stories of the late Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew by John Keir Cross, stars Sir John Gilgood as Sherlock Holmes, Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson, and today, Orson Welles as Professor Moriarty. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.
4: Again next week. This has been Bill Holwig from West Texas for Broken Sea Audio Productions. www.brokensea.com. Good evening. Good evening. The music for tonight's episode was composed by Brian of Seraphic Panoply and Stevie Farnaby.